Record 23. Flowers. Dissolution of a crystal. If only. They say there are flowers that bloom once every hundred years. Why shouldn't there be some that bloom only once every thousand, every ten thousand years? Maybe we just haven't heard about them up to now because this very day is that once in a thousand years. So here I am, drunk with joy, going down the stairs to the duty desk and before my very eyes, quickly, silently, thousand-year buds are popping open all around me. Everywhere, and armchairs are blossoming and shoes, golden badges, light bulbs, someone's dark, long-lashed eyes, the faceted columns of the banisters, a handkerchief lost on the stairs, the table of the one on duty, and above the table the gentle cheeks of you, brown with spots. It's all unusual, new, tender, pink, moist. I hand you the pink ticket, and above her head, through the glass wall, the moon hangs blue and fragrant from some invisible branch. I point to it triumphantly and say, The moon, you understand? You glances at me, then at the number on the ticket, and I see that familiar movement, that familiar movement of hers, so charmingly modest, when she adjusts the folds of her yunny between the angles of her knees. You don't look normal, dear. You look sick, because sick and not normal are the same thing. You destroy. You're destroying yourself, and no one is going to tell you that. No one. That. No one was, of course, equal to the number on the ticket I hyphen three thirty. Dear wonderful you, you're right. Of course, I'm not sensible. I'm sick. I have a soul. I'm a microbe. But isn't blooming a sickness? Doesn't it hurt when the buds bursts open? Don't you don't you agree that the spermatozoan is the most terrifying of all microbes? I'm upstairs in my room, I hyphen three thirty, sitting in the sprawling cup of the armchair. I'm on the floor, my arms around her legs, my head in her lap, and we're both quiet. Silence. My pulse. I'm a crystal, dissolving in her. In I hyphen three thirty, I feel with absolute clarity, the way that the polished facets that de- define me in space are melting, melting. I'm vanishing, dissolving in her lap, in her. I'm getting smaller and smaller, and at the same time, wider, larger, off every scale. Because she, she's no longer herself. She's the whole universe. And for one second, I and this chair shot through with joy beside the bed. We are one. And the old woman with the marvellous smile at the gates of the ancient house and the wild wastes beyond the green wall and the silver on black ruins that drowse like the old woman and that door that just slams somewhere, probably far away. All that is in me, with me, listening to the beating of my pulse and flying across the blessed second. I try to tell her in stupid, confused, drowned words that I am a crystal and that that is why the door is in me, 
and why I can feel how happy the chair is. But such balled up nonsense comes out that I stop. I'm ashamed. I, and suddenly I say, I hyphen 330, darling, forgive me. I don't understand. I'm talking such nonsense. What makes you think nonsense is bad? If they'd nurtured and cared for human nonsense over the ages the way they did intelligence, it might have turned into something of special value. Yes, I think she's right. How right now? Could she not be right? And for your nonsense alone, for what you did yesterday on the walk, I love you still more. Still more. But then, why did you torture me? Why didn't you come? Why did you send your tickets? Why did you make me... But maybe I had to test you. Maybe I had to find out whether you do everything I wanted. That you were completely mine. Yes, completely. She took my face, all of me between her palms, and lifted up my head. Well, but what about your... Duties of every honest number. What of that? Sharp, sweet, white teeth. Then a smile. In the opened cup of the chair, she was like a bee. She had both honey and a sting. Yes, duties. In my mind, I quickly went through the most recent entries in these pages. The fact is that there wasn't any, the least thought, there wasn't anywhere the least thought of any duty that I should. I kept quiet. There's an ecstatic and probably stupid smile on her face. I look into her eyes, now one, now the other, seeing myself in each. I am tiny, minuscule, jailed in these little rainbow prisons, and then more bees, lips, the sweet pain of blooming. Inside each of us numbers, there is an invisible metronome ticking away quietly, and we never have to glance at a clock to know that the exact time to within five minutes but now my metronome had stopped and I did not know how much time had passed. Frightened, I grabbed my badge with its clock out from under the pillow. Praise be to the benefactor. I still had 20 minutes. But minutes, such stumpy little short things, it's not even funny, were running and I had so much to tell her. Everything, all of myself about O's letter, about the horrible evening when I gave her a child, about my own childhood, for some reason, about the, mathemat about the mathematics teacher, Pilapa, about V minus I, about my first time at the day of unanimity, and how hard I cried because on that day, of all days, I got a spot of ink on my uni. I-330 raised her head and propped herself on her elbow. At the corners of her lips were two long, sharp lines, and the angle of her eyebrows made a cross. Maybe that day... She stopped, and her brows darkened even more. She took my hand and pressed it hard. Tell me, you won't forget me. You'll always remember me. Why do you say that? What are you talking about, darling? I-330 said nothing, and her eyes were already looking past me, through me, far away. Suddenly I heard the wind whipping its huge wings against the glass. This had been happening all along, of course, but I only heard it now. 
and for some reason I recalled the shrill birds flying over the top of the green wall. I-330 gave her head a shake as though to get rid of something. Once more, for a second, the whole length of her body touched me, the way an arrow gives the earth one springy little touch before it lands. Right then, hand me my stockings. Hurry! The stockings have been thrown on my table. One On one page, 193 of these notes, which were lying open there. In, in my hurry, I knocked against the manuscript and the pages scattered and I couldn't put them back in order. But the main thing is that it wouldn't matter even if I did put them back in order because there's no real order. Anyway, there'd always be dangerous rapids and pits and unknowns. I can't go on like this, I said. Here you are. Here, next to me. And you still seem to be on the other side of some ancient wall that I can't see through. I hear rustling sounds through the wall. Voices, but I can't make out the words. I don't know what's back there. I can't go on like this. You're forever stopping just short of telling me something. You've never told me where I was that time in the ancient house and where those corridors went and how come there was a doctor or maybe that never happened. I-330 put her hands on my shoulder and looked slowly and deeply into my eyes. You want to know everything? Yes, I do. I have to. And you won't be afraid to follow me anywhere to the very end, no matter where I lead you? Anywhere. All right, I promise you. When this holiday is over, if only... Oh, yes, how's your integral? I keep forgetting to ask you. Is it soon? No. What do you mean, if only... You're doing it again, if only what? She was already at the door when she said, You'll see. I'm alone. All that's left of her is a slight hint of something that reminds me of the sweet, dry, yellow pollen of certain flowers on the other side of the wall. That and the questions that stick in me like fish hooks, like those things the ancients used to catch fish, Museum of Prehistory. Why'd she suddenly ask me about the integral? Record 24. Record of function. Easter. Cross it all out. I'm like a machine being run over its RPM limit. The bearings are overheating. A minute longer and the metal is going to melt and start dripping and that'll be the end of everything. I need a quick splash of cold water logic. I pour it on in buckets, but the logic hisses on the hot bearings and dissipates in the air as a fleeting white mist. Well, of course it's clear that you can't establish a function without taking into account what its limit is. And it's also clear that what I felt yesterday, that stupid dissolving in the universe, if you take it to its limit, is death. Because that's exactly what death is, the fullest possible dissolving of myself into the universe. Hence, if we let L stand for love and D for death, then L equals F brackets D, i.e. love and death. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's why I'm afraid of I-330, why I fight against her, why I don't want...
But why do those two exist side by side in me? I don't want, and I, and I want. That's just what's so horrible. What I want again is that blissful death of yesterday. What's so horrible is that even now, when the logical function has been integrated, when it's obvious that it contains as a hidden component death itself, I still want her, my lips, my arms, my chest, every millimetre of me wants her. Tomorrow is the day of unanimity. She'll be there, of course, too, and she'll see, and, and I'll see her only from far away. From far away. That's going to be painful, because I need her. I'm drawn irresistibly to be next to her, to have her hands, her shoulder, her hair. But I want even that pain. Let it happen. Great benefactor. How absurd to want pain. Can there be anyone who doesn't know that pain is a negative quantity and that if you add them up, it reduces the sum we call happiness? So it follows, but nothing follows. The state, the slate's clean, naked. Evening. A windy, feverishly pink, alarming sunset comes through the glass walls of the building. I turn my chair so this pinkness won't stick up in front of me and I leaf through these notes. What I see is that once more I've forgotten that I'm not writing for myself but for you, you unknown ones that I love and pity. For you, who are still trudging somewhere in distant centuries down below. About the day of unanimity, that great day, I've always loved it ever since I was a child. For us, I think it's something like what Easter was for the ancients. I remember how on the eve you'd make yourself a little calendar of hours and grandly cross them off, one at a time, one hour closer, one hour less to wait. Honestly, if I were sure nobody would see, I'd carry a little calendar like this around with me everywhere, every now, even now, and mark off how much time was left until tomorrow when I'd see even, even it from afar. I was interrupted. They'd just brought me the new yunni straight from the shop. It's the custom to issue new yunnies for the big day tomorrow. You hear footsteps in the hallway, noise, happy shouting. To go on, tomorrow I'll see the same sight that's repeated from one year to the next, bringing new excitement each time the mighty chalice of harmony, the people's arms reverently uplifted. Tomorrow is the day of the annual election of the benefactor. Tomorrow we once more place the keys to the unshakable fortress of our happiness into the hands of the benefactor. It goes without saying that this has no resemblance to the disorderly, unorganised elections in ancient times, when, it's hard to say this with a straight face, they couldn't even tell before the election how it would come out. To establish a state on the basis of absolutely unpredictable randomness, blindly, could there be any anything more idiotic? Still, it looks like centuries had to pass before this was understood. I don't suppose it's necessary to wait 
I don't suppose it's necessary to say that here, as in everything else, we have no place for randomness. There can't be any surprises. And even the elections amount to little more than symbolism to remind us that we are one powerful million-celled organism, that we are, in the words of the ancient gospel, one church, because the history of one state does not know of a single instance when so much as one voice dared to violate the majestic union of that glorious day. They say the ancients somehow carried out their elections in secret, hiding like thieves. Some of our historians even say they carefully masked themselves before turning up to the election ceremonies. I can just picture the fantastically gloomy spectacle night, a city square, figures in dark capes creeping along the walls, the crimson flame of the torches guttering the wind. Why all this secretiveness was needed has never yet been fully explained. Most probably the elections were connected with some mystical, superstitious or maybe even criminal rites. But we have nothing to hide or be ashamed of. We celebrate our elections openly honestly in the daylight and I see how everybody votes for the benefactor and everybody sees how I vote for the benefactor. And how could and how else could it be since everybody and I add up to the one we? How much more uplifting, sincere, lofty this is than the cowardly, thieverish secrets of the ancients. How and how much more expedient it is too. Because even if you suppose the impossible, by which I mean some kind of dissonance in our usual monophony, you've still got the concealed guardians right up there in our ranks, ready at a moment's notice to stop any numbers that might have gotten out of line and save them from making any false steps, as well as save one state from them. And finally, there's one more thing. I'm looking through the wall to the left. I see a woman in front of the mirror in the closet door, hurrying to unbutton her yunny. I get a quick hazy glimpse of her eye, of her eyes, lips, the tips of two pink buds. Then the blinds go down, and in an instant all of yesterday's, yesterday floods back over me, and I forget what the one more thing was, and I don't care. I don't, know, I don't want it. All I want is one thing, I-330. I want her to be with me every minute, each and every minute, only with me. And all that stuff I just wrote about the day of unanimity, nobody needs it. It's all wrong. I want to cross it out, tear it up, throw it out. Because I know, maybe this is blasphemy, but it's true, that the only holiday for me is being with her. Only if she's... There, next to me, shoulder to shoulder. Without her, the sun tomorrow won't be anything more than a disc cut out of tin and the sky will just be tin-painted blue. And I myself... I grab the telephone. I-330, is that you? Yes? Do you realise how late it is? Maybe it isn't too late. I want to ask you. I want to be with you tomorrow, darling. I said darling very softly, and for some reason this made me think of a thing that happened this morning at the hangar. For a joke, somebody had to put, had put a watch under a hundred-ton sledge 
they'd swung the sledge with all their might to, to, to with all their might it made a, a wind in your face and then stopped a hundred tons of gentleness just short of the little watch there was a pause i imagine i hear someone in her her room whispering then her voice says no i can't listen you know i'd like i'd also like but no i can't don't ask why i'll see you tomorrow